Previously on the show, Gabriel reunites with Mary Magdalene, but it's 33 years later. Mary is now in love with a man who's being sentenced the next day, and she wants Gabriel to save him. Season 1, Episode 9, Long Live the King of Kings. Why would I save a man that stole the only person I ever even cared about from me? Gabriel says. Mari cries and responds, Because he didn't steal anything, and because I'm telling you to do it for me. Poinces has always had it for him. Ever since I told him he's the love of my life, ever since that moment, he has always tried to find him and kill him. Now he has a reason, and he wants to do it in front of everyone. Where would I find them? Gabriel asks. Mari then replies, In the middle of the city, there's a courthouse. You'll find him there in the morning. Gabriel grabs her by the neck and says, Okay, now that I know, I should kill all of you. I should kill you, then watch your boyfriend die, and then finally kill the fucking commander. Mari then says, Do it. Gabriel, I'm sorry, my love. I'm not going to save anyone for you. If I can't have you, he can't have you either. No one can. Gabriel lets her go, turns and walks away as if just when he thought he had meaning in his life, everything went down the drain. As Gabriel walks away, Mari screams, You are an abomination, Gabriel. You never loved, and no one will ever love you. Gabriel walks away angry, frustrated and disappointed. The day quickly turns into night, and the night into the rising sun. Gabriel sleeps between large containers made out of glued rope. The loud screams of a crowd wake him up, like the sounds inside of a sporting event. The courthouse Mari talked about is nearly 200 yards away. He gets up and walks that way. He moves through the crowd, closer to the noise to see what people are shouting about. As he gets closer, the action is happening two stories down in an open courtyard where there is a stage, like a small coliseum almost. Hundreds of people looking above and standing in front of the stage waiting. The crowd shouts and calls for a judgment to start. In between three Roman columns from the left of the stage, three guards come out holding onto chains attached to an iron neck ring placed on a huge man. The man is almost six and a half feet tall. Wearing an old extra large dark brown robe, he walks heavy and hunched forward. His long dark hair and his large brown beard cover practically all of his face. The crowd goes crazy as the soldiers bring the man on stage. From the right of the stage, in between three other columns, three other soldiers push forward a much smaller man than the other one. The man is thin and of normal height. His brown wavy hair nearly touches his shoulders. His beard is not long. He wears a tan-colored robe. He seems beat up, a bit swollen in his face from physical abuse. He stands tall and proud, as if it's painful, but he stands his ground. And so, Pontius Pilate comes from behind the stage and to the center for everyone to see. The crowd goes insane. The courthouse roars as if they're looking at a hero. He is much older than what Gabriel remembers only a few days ago but he still wears his shiny armor. As the crowd screams, Gabriel keeps getting closer and closer so that he can witness the event as vividly as possible. Juan just shouts, 
order. And the entire arena silences. He speaks and it echoes in the courtyard. Today, we judge the life of these two men. One, a man that riots against Roman soldiers. A huge man that murdered one of your city's protectors with his bare hands because he's not willing to follow the law implemented by your emperor. Who knows what he can do to your children? His name is Barabbas. The crowd screams. Some shout, death. Others screams, let him go free. Pontius lifts both of his arms and everyone quiets again. He speaks. The other, a man who calls himself the savior of all men. A miracle man from Nazareth, he says. Son of the heavens, who goes around village after village, preaching that all laws of God have been taught wrong by men. And that he who follows his word will see the true meaning of life. He grows a following of made-up beliefs against the blessing of the emperor. While in secret, Pontius pauses, looks down. His thoughts make him angry. He looks up again and says, While in secret, sleeps around with a local prostitute. His name, Jesua of Nazareth. The crowd screams off the top of their lungs, Kill the prophet! Crucify him! Religious rabbis and councils beg for his death right in front of the stage. Hardly anyone votes for Barabbas to be condemned. Some shout to free Barabbas once again. Pontius enjoys listening to the screams of people begging for blood. He scans the screaming faces and stops, for he spots Gabriel amongst the many faces and cannot believe what he sees. Pontius notices that he's the same man, not a day different than the man that could have easily killed him three decades ago. As if he just looked at the devil himself, he takes two steps backward and starts sweating. He takes it as a bad omen, and Gabriel's presence clouds his judgment. Pontius raises his hands once again and the crowd quiets down. A couple of seconds of silence, and Pontius Pilatus speaks. I see no crime committed by this man. If he wants to preach and create a following based on beliefs, then so be it. I wash my hands and give the man to the people. Do with him as you please. Gabriel gets frustrated that he doesn't get to see the men die a horrible death, and he starts moving down to get closer. Then, a bowl of water is brought to the commander, and as he washes his hands, he orders his soldiers to take Jesua back inside. He says, 40 lashes before you turn him into the people. Make sure he doesn't die. Poinces looks to the crowd again to see if Gabriel is still there, but he doesn't spot him. Then, he disappears and escapes amongst the scene as fast as humanly possible. Barabbas is freed, and Jesu is taken back inside the building. Gabriel slowly and seamlessly manages to follow into a private inside area. He hides behind the columns, and people care not to wonder why he follows inside. The whole thing feels like just another day of judgment for everyone else. Gabriel creeps in. The space where Jesu is brought into is dark and gray, even when it's broad daylight outside. It has a center pillar where they tie his hands and strip him of his clothes. Soldiers gather around to enjoy 40 lashes to the skin of a naked man. 
and Gabriel manages to have a front row seat while in the shadows. After 10 excruciating minutes, 39 lashes and a bath in blood, Jesua's body and face are deformed, unrecognizable to anyone. And before leaving him to bleed out, a Roman soldier approaches him with a crown made out of branches and thorns and pushes it down to his skull and says, Cheers to the king of the heavens. They all leave to take a break. A moment of silence and Jesua's breathing and spitting of his blood echoes in the space. Forehead to the ground, he coughs, hurts, but doesn't cry. He prays to endure the pain. Behind a column and from the shadows, the calm sound of steps approaches. Jesua witnesses the first cocking sound of a gun as two feet stand in front of his forehead, gun barrel to the back of his head, and listens to the words, you don't complain. You don't beg. Two things we already have in common. No wonder she likes you. I could take you out of your misery. Jesua speaks. Either you now or them later. May it be. Jesua looks up. He finds the strength to at least get up to his knees. He takes a good look at Gabriel. Smiles at him as if he knew him all of his life, and says, I'd rather it be done by you. He slowly extends his right arm, places his hand on Gabriel's gun to then move it to his forehead, and manages to touch part of Gabriel's hand. As Jesua's hand barely touches him, Gabriel's vision suddenly flashes with images of the past, a rapid collage of simple memories of his childhood, a little girl helping him get up from a fall, a high five given to him from another kid, the tender face licks of a small dog, and his first kiss to a girl as a child. Memory after memory of simple moments only felt a few times in his life. Gabriel unexplainably feels what compassion was like. He feels unbearable sorrow, not just an unrecognizable feeling, but a long lost and forgotten fear of loss. He feels lightheaded, jumps back, looks at Jesua in shock and tries to snap out of it. His hands are shaky as he cannot focus well. Right in the moment of all of this, as Gabriel is about to fire his gun, soldiers approach rapidly and shout, What are you doing here? And Gabriel, struggling to regain focus in order to defend himself, turns into the shadows and leaves the scene. An hour or so passes, and the crowd starts gathering around the streets to see what's to happen to Jesua of Nazareth, a social event for locals for a bit of entertainment. Along with two Roman soldiers, Jesua comes out from in between the crowd, wearing his tan robe covered in mud and blood, a crown of thorns, and carrying a solid wood cross twice his size. The people cheer. They start drinking, throwing garbage and spitting at his face. Gabriel, still a bit stunned, creeps in to get a clear view. His curiosity to see what happens to Jesua becomes an intense desire. As he gets closer, someone grabs his shoulder from behind. He turns around and he listens to the words, It can't be. Gabriel recognizes a much older Simon. Simon speaks, How is this possible? 
as he looks as the same Gabriel he last saw 33 years ago. Simon, I don't have time for this, Gabriel says. Simon replies, it's okay, Gabriel. What happened was a mystery, but I never had the chance to thank you. My business grew back when you left. My farm blossomed. Soldiers came back to buy. I had two boys, two very smart boys who helped me grow my business even more, Alexander and Rufus. They are on their way to meet the emperor as we speak to cut a deal. Maybe the biggest deal of my life. Gabriel realizes that's the meeting Alirio wants to stop from happening. He snaps out of his trance and says, Fuck it. Good for you, Simon. Simon hugs Gabriel. Gabriel pushes him back and says, I need a favor. Simon responds, Anything, Gabriel. That man carrying the cross. Simon interrupts him. I know that boy's mother. She came seeking for help the night you were gone. Looking for her angel, she said. She was talking crazy. And she was pregnant too. She said God himself impregnated her. And she gave birth to that boy inside the barn the night you left. People say he was a miracle baby. Some even came to visit from afar. It's a shame what's happening to him. And I know Pontius, so I came to negotiate his life, but I couldn't find him anywhere. Gabriel, he can't die. I have questions and no answers yet. Carry his cross for him. The weight is killing him. He won't survive the walk with that thing on his back. I'll meet you at the top of the mountain. There's too many people here. Simon, don't get yourself killed, Gabriel. Gabriel, I have to go, but I will be there. Try to take a bit of time. I need the time, but make sure he makes it. Being the negotiator he is, Simon walks in the middle of Jesuit's path. The Roman soldier supervising the walk knows Simon and asks him what the hell is he doing. Simon tells the soldiers that Jesuit won't make it to the top of the mountain and that the people will miss the show to let the people see him die the way they want. He offered to carry the cross. The soldiers accepted. As Simon approaches Jesua, he whispers to his ear, Stay strong, boy. It's almost over. The people cheer again as the show continues. Many of the people stop and decide not to walk up the mountain. But three dozen people follow Simon, Jesua, and two soldiers up the path. Time passes. A slow hike to the top of the mountain and one can hardly hear anything. A lonely peak that makes any brave man fear the feeling of hundreds of dead souls. The crowd starts gathering around to watch yet again another crucifixion. Two men are already crucified in the scene. Their bodies look burned by the sun, dirty, injured, starved and dehydrated as if they have been nailed to the cross for over a day. A deep hole has been dug for a third cross to be placed in the middle. Simon walks exhausted and scans the space to see if he finds Gabriel, but sees nothing. Simon hands over the heavy cross to one of the soldiers. He walks towards Jesu again and says, I'm sorry, boy, and starts walking down the mountain as if he wishes he can do more, but no more can be done. The soldiers drop the cross to the ground, strip Jesu of his clothes and lay his body on top of it. 
the sound of thunder and the smell of rain creeps in. The crowd starts quieting down. One could hear the ringing sounds of huge iron nails being taken out of a bag. A soldier approaches Jesua, who lies on the cross, scared, in excruciating pain, and the soldier says, Where is your heavenly father now? A nail is placed in one of Jesua's wrists, and just as the soldier lifts his hammer, the loud sound of a bang scares everyone on top of the mountain. Another bang and another as people start to scream. Gabriel comes from the crowd, shooting everything and everyone in his path. Headshot after headshot, as bodies start dropping like flies. Like if a spirit from nowhere starts taking their lives away in a split of a second. His handgun quickly goes out of bullets, and he takes out his machine gun and starts spraying bullets to everyone's bodies. People scream and cry for God's help, but nothing stops hell from coming for them. As both soldiers lift their swords and the rain comes pouring in, Gibro shoots the soldiers and the bullets penetrate their armor effortlessly. Three dozen people die in less than a minute as the echoes of gunfire travel the city, but the storm is too strong for anyone to hike up and wonder what is happening at the top. With everyone on the ground and no more bullets to spare, Gibro walks towards Jesua, who lies on the ground not having a clue of what has happened. Jezo looks at Gabriel from the ground and says, This cannot happen. I must die today. It is the will of God. And Gabriel replies with, I am God in this place. In the middle of the storm, Jezo lies on the ground for a long while as he watches everything that Gabriel works on. For hours, Gabriel takes down both of the raised crosses, throws both men over the cliff, strips down the armor of both soldiers, nails each soldier to each one of the crosses and lifts the crosses back up effortlessly. As if one man had the strength and the support of ten men. Gabriel goes away for a moment and comes back dragging a body from far away. He brings the body close to Jesua. Gabriel pushes Jesua off the cross and drops the dead body on top of it. The body is whiplashed, injured, and deformed like Jesua's body is. Jesua can hardly speak and says, Who? Gabriel removes Jesua's crown of thorns from his head, places it on the other body and says, No one will be coming for you anymore. So don't you go dine on me, miracle boy. Gabriel grabs the body and hammers the huge nails through the hands like nothing. He hammers a sign on top of the cross, as Jezo witnesses the dead and deformed body of Pontius Pilate crucified. Gabriel disappears for a moment, leaving Jezo on the ground in the middle of a deadly silence, where the rain and thunder washes the blood of men and women down the mountain. And so, from the mist, Gabriel comes back, bringing along Marie Magdalene, who desperately runs to help Jezo. Gabriel puts a robe over Jezo's body, and picks him up to his shoulders. Both Mari and Gabriel stop as they look up at the raised cross that reads, Long live the King of Kings. Gabriel, Jesua, and Mari leave the scene, and the rain pours on top of three dozen dead bodies in a horrific scene not ever really known or told by men. Gabriel carries Jesua on his shoulders and helps Mari hike down the very slippery mountain 
but the storm gets stronger and stronger. So powerful the wind and the rain get that the mountain starts breaking apart and mud and boulders come rolling down. Rocks big enough to kill anyone. And so they realize they might not make it. But Gable spots an opening down the mountain. A cave where they can maybe hide while the storm passes. Gable screams, In there! And they rush to get in. Inside the cave, Gabriel lays Jezua's body inside and helps Mari come in. As he pulls Mari inside the caves, he hugs her and forces a kiss. He pulls back and says, You'll be safe here. I'll send people for you. Mari says, No, where are you going? Gabriel, you got what you wanted. What's done is done. Gable steps out of the cave into the falling rocks. He takes out his grenade launcher and shoots twice to the top of the mountain. The explosion sends down a huge mudslide and boulders raising down the cliff. Gabriel gazes at Mari one last time, takes a moment to lock eyes and says, I'll send people for you. He disappears into the rain, never seen again as mud and boulders cover the cave shut and the storm that took three days to stop was talked amongst its people as the deadly storm of Calvary Mountain. On the next episode, the tale of the biggest betrayal in history is revealed as all that men believe is nothing but a hoax told by the people who the world idolizes today. Stay tuned for the season finale of Gabriel.